1: justified It's a legal term. You might describe it this way, just as if I'd never sinned. It's God saying, you're innocent. But he holds that innocence through the eyes of someone else, as we'll see next. Join us. Justified, justification, it's a a legal term that tells us that the court has assumed we are innocent and has passed sentence on that innocence, even though we're guilty. Well, today we continue looking at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 today, here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Justified freely by His grace is the title of our message. Join us and
2: be encouraged. Here's Gary with today's program. It has not been particularly pleasant to walk through these first two and a half, almost three chapters of Romans, because sin is very bleak. And of course, none of us are exempt. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sins are not just some character flaws or a few little indiscretions. We are criminals against God's majesty until Christ comes forward and takes our death sentence upon himself. That has been the whole point of these opening chapters of Romans. God's holiness is offended. His justice is offended. And remember, he can by no means leave the guilty unpunished. When we come to these verses, and our focus today will be on verse 24 and the first half of verse 25, these are very precious lines. They have been called the Acropolis of the Christian faith. They have been called the centerpiece of the book of Romans, and most certainly they are. There is no exaggeration here. Everything else, as Paul is going to tell us, is ours. Faith and hope like Abraham's, righteousness in life in the place of sin and death, we see in chapter 6. The new man in union with Christ, the ability to be servants of righteousness, freedom from the law's curse, and being married to Christ, we will see in verse 7, or chapter 7. And all the wonderful promises, we will see In chapter 8 a hope in God's providence endurance in suffering the adopting feeling the Spirit gives us that we are God's children confidence in election and predestination and all of the gifts of the Spirit and everything else Romans has to say they are all impossible and meaningless without these two verses 24 25. So everything else in the book flows from this, because our Savior died and rose again and has secured these blessings for us through His everlasting covenant. So one of the chief practical things you should gain from these verses, and I'm going to tell you this right at the start today, and that is a life devoted to God's praise. That is a life humbled, By his mercy. That is a salvation. And an assurance that doesn't look at one's self. It doesn't look at our performance. It doesn't look at one's feelings. But it looks at the Lamb of God. Who is manifested to take away our sins. In verse 24 for the first time in the book. Paul uses the verb To justify. And it is our fundamental need. So we must be really clear what this verb means. It doesn't mean to make ourselves righteous. It doesn't mean to do enough good stuff where God will finally smile at us a little bit and then maybe help us on the rest of the way. To justify, as it is used here, And throughout the New Testament means for God to consider those who were criminals favorably, you and I. It means instead of our sins screaming for divine justice to strike us down, that in his mercy he has provided a substitute. And on the basis of what Christ has done, we are declared before the court of God's majesty to be righteous And impeccably so in his sight. No one can bring a single charge against God's elect. Because it is God himself who justifies. If it was man who justifies. There would be plenty of charges that could be laid before this filthy sinner. But it is God who justifies. It is nothing we do. It is God who declares us righteous. God is the one who, though we have no merit, no goodness, no righteousness of any kind, nothing that would incline him to be favorable to us, he is the one who comes forward and provides the righteousness that we need as a condition of our fellowship with him. This is a legal righteousness, meaning it is a new right standing before God. Now, in the history of the church, there have always been some mad dogs out there who screamed at this idea, and they called it legal fiction. Let me tell you something. None who have been deeply struck that God is the righteous judge have ever dreamed of bringing forth any such objection. Because before I can have any personal peace with God, before I can have any inner change unto holiness, there is something else that forever stands between me and that, and you and that, and that is the death sentence that is upon our heads because of our sins. So for God to come forward, and to change that death sentence to lay that sentence upon his son call it forensic righteousness as the older theologians did or call it legal righteousness it is most necessary because without it we stand before god condemned and god is the righteous judge and he is angry with his with sinners Every day. So there is in no sense. Well, this is just a legal fiction. Tell that to Moses. Who before the holy, holy, holy I am of the burning bush fell upon his face. Tell that to Isaiah who when he saw the glorious train of God high and lifted up. He immediately started asking himself. Or think about it. Did he? Did he say, do I have enough personal change to have fellowship with God? No. He said, woe is me. I am undone. I am unclean before his majesty. And I could go on and on. All humbled sinners always throughout scripture and throughout the history of the church feel deeply That there's nothing that we can do to reverse the death sentence that is upon our heads because we have sinned against a holy God. And only God can intervene to announce these claims satisfied. And he does so. He does so by grace. Notice here in verse 24, he says it twice. Not only being justified passively, meaning we don't do it, God does it. But he also says being justified freely. Undeservedly is what this adverb means. For redemption is a gift. It's nothing that we merit or can merit. No penance, no tears, no effort, not even personal reform. We are forever shot out of heaven and consigned to everlasting hell. Because of our sins. Unless. God comes forward and gives us. This. As a free gift. You know for believers as. We look back upon our lives and. Deal with our the sin in our lives now. This confession is ours. For us sin is not something that's just kind of out there somewhere. Oh yeah, you know, there's some bad stuff out there in the world. No. There is personal conviction of, I have sinned. I have broken God's law. I stand condemned and God's justice must strike me down. Beloved, that's what is really fair. In the absence of that conviction, brothers and sisters, we make a mockery of God's judgment. And we make a mockery of the cross of Christ, a total mockery. But God gives us this gift freely. And Paul specifically says, by his grace. Now, why mention it twice? Because we can't hear it often enough. All of Paul's missionary travels, all of his sufferings for righteousness sake added nothing to his right standing before God and we could have done nothing to reverse the death sentence had not God come forward and given his righteousness through his son to us nothing that is where peace of conscience comes from brethren that we look to Christ and we realize we are justified by God before God by his grace Not by my goodness, thank God. Not by my feelings. Not by my tears. Not by how good a Christian I am. Not by how good a husband or how good a wife I am. Not by how good a student I am. Not by how successful a business owner I am. It was a free gift that God came to me and gave to me in his undeserved kindness. Paul says this in Ephesians 2 4, a very closely related idea, beginning in verse 3. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, that actually means our way of life, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, Because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace you are saved. So the solemn truth in the opening lines of verse 24 is that we are wholly dependent upon the mercy and the grace of God. His compassion For sinners, his undeserved love, love to save us and to make us righteous. Now we should stop for a minute and just pause before the grandeur of this grace, which is really kind of hard for us today. Because number one, our hearts are often so deceived into thinking we are better than we are. And then we see a lot of pretense to goodness in the world and a lot of lies of man. But when we consider sin seriously and consider God's holiness seriously for just a moment, and then how strict is his judgment? It is as strict as his own character. You know, men today think about God being a righteous judge, and they say, oh, you know, but that's not really fair. Why is that? It's because in a sinful society like ours, everything is graded on a curve. You know, like those curves we got in school sometimes with our grades. For if people don't match up to what these test scores should be, you just dumb the test down, right? and if you don't want to work the government says oh here's a check that's our society we are infected by these ideas let's take for a moment about how god how how holy god is and how fully accountable we are to him as his image bearers yet how stubborn and wayward we are so what would move god To show any kind of kindness. Think of the holy man Job. When he was confronted with God's majesty. What was his response? He said I loathe myself. I repent in dust and ashes. And he was one of God's best men. Adam after just the first sin. What does it say in Genesis when God approached him? Adam said, I have heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, and I hid. 6,000 years have passed since then. Six years, 6,000 years of what? Rebellion. 6,000 years of the witness of judged men, nations, and cultures. 6,000 years of all the wrath we have seen in the world. All of these things are screaming that God is righteous and that God hates sin. And then we look at the cross and the cry gets even stronger. God is righteous. There's no one to help us before such holiness. No one. I can't help you. I can't even help myself. I am wholly undone before the majesty of God. Unless God himself chooses to come and help all of us nothing in me moves him to do that nothing in you he has given us every incentive to lead thankful and holy and godly lives but we didn't do it and now our neck stands ready to be chopped off by his justice oh but his grace comes forward to us You see, you can't appreciate grace unless you look at His holiness. You can't appreciate grace unless you honestly face sinfulness. And what happens when you don't is that that grace is cheapened. Grace just becomes a license. Grace becomes something to make you simply feel better without remembering that what makes grace so magnificent, so awe-inspiring, so humbling, is the holy, holy, holy God who gives it in comparison to the filthy, depraved, corrupt sinners to whom He gives it. You've got to keep that dynamic in your mind, beloved, because it is the truth, or grace will always be cheap. God delights in mercy. He's kind to the thankful and the undeserving. That's you and me. His faithfulness and measureless depths of love move him to have compassion on us. Seen as dead in sin, he says, I'm going to make them alive in my Righteousness. Seeing us condemned and about to be struck down, he says, I'm going to reveal the glory of my justice to them. I'm going to reveal my wisdom and my righteousness and my love (coughs) (coughs) by laying all of this upon my son. God's grace is precious. It is mysterious and it is magnificent and it ought to hold us in rapture all the days that god of his own free goodness justifies us please understand god does not love you because you are an american in fact that may well be a strike against you god doesn't love you because of the color of your skin or because you're smart or because you're rich or poor or because you have some degree after your name Or because you like the Stanford Cardinals. God doesn't love us because of any of those things. Nothing in us moved God to love us. You must understand that, beloved. Because we had sinned against His majesty and broken all of His holy laws. And the gleaming sword of justice that stood there at the garden and blocked the way... Would have fallen on us. But in his mercy he comes forward. He in his own love. He in his own kindness and compassion. For the undeserving comes forward. And he changes us. We should be filled. Be filled with joy unspeakable. For our salvation is holy. Holy the work of God. Of his loving kindly heart. Toward sinners like us. Grace has got to be the song of our lives because if it is not, then we really don't know God and we really don't know ourselves. So Paul wants to make it very clear in verse 24. This justification before his court is a gift. It is all of his undeserved kindness to sinners. But verse 25, it wasn't free. Oh, yes, it is free to us, but it wasn't free to the Son of God. Paul transitions here in the second half of verse 24 from grace to redemption. Those words don't carry the shock value that they should to us any longer. Grace, God's undeserved kindness towards sinners. Redemption, deliverance by the payment of a price. God doesn't save us by throwing off the demand For his justice? You know, that's kind of like homeowners think today. Oh, I I got myself into this mortgage that was really too expensive for me. I, I bought into the bubble and that's not fair. That my home value is going down. So what should happen? The government should step in and help. Or the bank should just forgive a portion of my loan. Those mean old banks. How about that battle of covetousness in our own heart? People today want freebies. God's gift of salvation is, to, is free to us, but the love it cost our Lord Jesus Christ dearly. Now I need to unfold this just a little bit. Why? Why can't God just say, "Okay, today is tax-free day. Today is a justice-free day." I'm just so powerful, and I am God. I can do whatever I want to, and I know you're all bad, but today I'm going to give everyone a clean slate. Oh, my friends, if he did that, he would cease being God. Because as wondrous as God's love is, that is how wondrous His justice is, and His holiness and His righteousness. Everything that God is, He is, infinitely he is immeasurably he is perfectly he is unchangeable and having determined to save us which was by no means a necessity laid upon him then psalm 85:10 must be true please turn there with me psalm 85 and i will begin in verse 9 psalm 85 beginning in verse 9. Surely his salvation is nigh them who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. There's no other way for God to save sinners. And it would be folly for us to affirm this unless Scripture itself does. And the cross is our best teacher here unless God in his wisdom found a way for mercy and truth, righteousness and peace to meet and kiss. Because his holiness and justice are just as fundamental to God's character as his love and his grace. It is like this. Everything God is, he says, I am that I am in fullness, in perfect unity. And the cross teaches that